the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Southern California Live, Friday afternoon. I'm Bob Lapine on KKLA and K-Praise. Nice to have you along with us this afternoon. I am guessing that, um, I don't know, a year ago, if I had come to you and said, uh, what do you think about CRT? You'd have looked at me like, what is CRT? Some of you are still going, what is CRT is that like CPR? Maybe you know it by by not by the initials, but by the name critical race theory. It's it's uh, certainly become a public conversation over the last twelve months. Uh, it's been around longer than that, but I would say, apart from COVID and masks and vaccine and that conversation. I would say that critical race theory has become maybe the second biggest hot button issue in our culture today, the the most polarizing and divisive issue in our culture today. And it, it is set up for many Christians a false a false dilemma. Here here's the dilemma we face. Uh, do do we believe that that racism is wrong that it is sinful listen there is one right answer to that question the 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 answer is absolutely it's wrong it's sinful it is the sin of partiality james chapter 2 is just one place where the sin of partiality is specifically condemned where to give preference to another human being because of skin color, ethnicity, background, um, social status, economic status, to, to ascribe higher dignity to one person than another is condemned in Scripture. Every human being is made in the image of God and has equal dignity and value and worth and we need to affirm that not just in our with our lips but with our actions in how we treat one another and here's a second question then has there been a history of racism in our culture and in our country there is only one right answer to that. Yes, absolutely. It has been a part of the core of who we are as Americans. To our shame, sadly, there is a root of racism that has been present in our American system since the founding. 
Now, we're, we can get into to the whole – some of you know about the 1619 debate, the people who say the founding of America really happened with the slave trade in 1619. It's, it's America's original sin. It's the thing that dominates who we are, that, that there is nothing that defines us more than racism. I don't think that's true. But that's not to say that racism hasn't been present among us and in some cases – been powerful and dominating and and sinfully expressed in we we've seen the images you don't have to look far you don't have to look back beyond your lifetime to see images of racism i don't have to look far i was alive when dr kennedy was assassinated i saw what happened in selma i i lived through the 60s when the civil rights movement was happening, and when people were being sinfully excluded. So racism is real, and roots of vestiges of racism are still present in our culture and in the hearts of many of our fellow citizens, and we need to loudly and, and, and uh, forcefully declare it to be true. Now, here's the dilemma. To say that and then at the same time to say, but some of the tenets of critical race theory are not only not true, but they conflict with what the Bible teaches. Now, all of a sudden, if you say, well, I don't believe in systemic racism the same way you're defining it, well, then you're a racist. In fact, as as you may know, there are people who today would say, if you are white, you can't help but be a racist. It, 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 there's nothing you can do about it. There are people today who would say, you, it's not good enough to say, well, I'm not a racist. You can't say I'm I'm a non-racist. You you have to say I'm anti-racist, and you have to say I agree with your policies and how they should be enacted. Otherwise, you're a racist. And a dividing line is being drawn in our culture. There are people who are exploiting the issue of racism for power and influence in the same way that people for Centuries exploited racial diversity for power and influence. There's sin on both sides of this. And and if you're paying it, look, look in, in school board meeting after school board meeting around the, around the country, this is flaring up as school districts are inserting critical race theory tenants into classroom education where second graders are coming home telling their parents that they learned in school today that they are oppressors because they are white. This is happening not just in school districts, it's happening in corporate America. It's happening in government agencies where people are being required to be trained in anti-racist training which is not simply exposing the sin of racism, the wrongness of racism, but it is teaching and indoctrinating and training people with not just anti-racism, but anti-Christian ideas. 
And if you're not aware of this and you're not paying attention to it, you need to because this this is finding its way in in the tributaries that flow underneath American culture into education, into corporate America, into government policies and practices. And some of what's coming in there needs to be said loudly and clearly, and some of it is dangerous and divisive and destructive. And I want us in this hour to better understand as Christians what's going on with critical race theory, and I want us to understand how we ought to view issues of social justice as followers of Christ. We're going to be joined this hour, later this hour, by Thaddeus Williams. Dr. Williams is a professor at Biola who has written a wonderful book on this subject called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, which ought to be our goal. Let me just start there. Confronting injustice is a biblical mandate. The Bible is clear that God is a just God and that he wants justice on the earth. We need to understand what justice means. We need to have a clear understanding of of what God considers justice to be, and then we need to be agents who are actively seeking for justice to be part of our culture. God cares about justice. We have to confront injustice, but we have to do it without compromising truth. And today, we're caught in this in this tailspin where if you say, I, I want to confront injustice, but you say, I think the way you're doing it is wrong, then you're automatically dismissed. You're automatically a racist. You don't care about justice. We're going to talk with Dr. Williams about that here in a few minutes. But before that, let me just bring you up to speed, okay? What is critical race theory? Now, just asking that question, (laughs) you you have to follow this debate to know that just asking the question, you, you can't get to, people will disagree about how you define it. And so when you say, I, here's what critical race theory teaches, another person will say, that's not what it teaches, it's this. And, and so it gets mislabeled, it's a, it's a fluid term, different people use it differently. So we're, we're going to say under the umbrella of critical race theory, whether this is what it is or not, under the umbrella of critical race theory, we have these ideas. One of the premises of critical race theory is that all of society is divided into two groups. There is one group of people who are dominant oppressors, and there's another group of people who are subordinate oppressed people. So critical race theory says you are either an oppressor or you are an oppressed person. And then it goes on to say, if, if you are under somebody else's authority, that person is the, they're an oppressor over you. If that person is a person who is, well, here are the, here are the groups. So the oppressor groups are um, white people who automatically oppress people of color. Men automatically oppress women. Older people automatically oppress younger people. Um, heterosexuals automatically oppress anybody who is not heterosexual. 
so it's race, class, gender, sexuality, uh, ability. The, the able automatically oppress the disabled. Uh, the rich oppress the poor. Uh, the the um, Americans oppress people of other nationalities. So all of a sudden, racism, sexism, classism, heteronormatism, all of these are forms of oppression. So if you are a older, straight, white male in America, you're just oppressing everybody else. That, that's what critical race theory posits. And somebody is under your oppression, and we need to get the power away from you, and we need to share the power with others. This is sometimes referred to as the idea of cultural Marxism. So Karl Marx came along and said, there's a problem. The rich are oppressing the poor. We need to get the money from the rich. We need to have more equity among the rich and the poor. And then the power goes away and and we'll have utopia. Well, Marxism does not work, as we've seen, for a century and that's economic Marxism. Now, cultural Marxism says, forget money, it's power. We've got to take the power away from the people who have the power and spread power out to more people, give the power to the people, and then oppression will go away. That's one of the theories of critical race theory. You've probably also heard of terms like white privilege. Now, again, let's start off. There's, when you hear white privilege, there's some truth to that. To be a Caucasian in America will will be an advantage to you in our world today than to be a person of color. With some people, you'll be in an advantaged position if you are a white person as opposed to being a person of color. How do I know this? There have been studies done. You may have heard about this study where... Uh, job applications were put together. These were false job applications. People uh, filled out a job application. The same qualifications for the different for for the job. Here's where I went to college. Here's my background. All of it was just same. And then they took that job application and they changed the names at the top. So they submitted the job application for somebody named Sarah Jones. They submitted it for somebody named uh, Shaquan Jefferson. They submitted it for somebody whose name was Hector Rodriguez, submitted it for somebody whose name was Zen Chi Pao. They sent the same job application to companies and waited to see who got a call back. And you know what? If your name was Sarah Jones, you were more likely to get a call back than if your name was Hector Rodriguez. So... Do we have racism in our country? Absolutely. Does white privilege exist? It does. But what's happened is that people have taken the term white privilege and said, if you are Caucasian, you are a possessor of white privilege. You must give up your white privilege. You must now subjugate yourself to others and give them the privilege that you've enjoyed and and live underneath their power and authority. That, that That's not the right response to the problem of partiality and racism. You may have heard of intersectionality. So intersectionality says, well, if you are a person of color, you're oppressed. If you're a woman, you're oppressed. If if you are uh, heteronormative, uh, you're you're a, per, you're a LGBTQ person, you're oppressed. So if you are a person of color, you're a woman, and you're a lesbian, 
you've got multiple oppressions. You've got intersectionality. You're, you're hyper-oppressed. And you are one of the people in our country who is facing incredible uh, racism or identity politics against you. All of these, are, again, they're all getting lumped together. So, so I'm, you know, in about 15 minutes here, I'm trying to summarize what is a very complex idea. But, but you just need to know that what's happening is in corporate America and in schools and in government agencies and in sports teams, we're hearing messages that are, are appropriating the language of, of critical race theory and saying, this is true. We're not going to live this way in this corporation. We're going to do things differently. And if somebody is oppressing you, it needs to be called out. If, if somebody, have you heard, we hear people talking about colonialism now. So colonialism is the oppressor who comes in and who wants to, uh, uh, to come in. You, you come in, if you're a missionary, you come into a culture and you say, we're here to help and we want to help you thrive in your culture. You're a colonialist. You're trying to import your ideals on these other people. A, a missionary who takes the gospel to another culture. Now, it may be that that missionary is wrongly trying to bring in cultural values rather than Christian values, but that's not how it's seen today. If you come into another culture as a Christian missionary and you say what the Bible teaches is that polygamy is wrong, well, now you're a colonialist. You're importing your colonial values. So the missionaries are under attack for this. So the idea that society is divided into two groups, the oppressed and the oppressor, and if you're oppressed, you need to speak up and take power. If you're an oppressor, you need to step back, sit down, shut up, get out of the way. And then there's the idea that your lived experience of partiality gives you access to a truth that the rest of us don't have. So some of you, and I know this is true, some of you have experienced firsthand racial division and and racial discrimination. I have a friend of mine who said, let me ask you a question, Bob. He said, have you ever been walking into a target and there's somebody walking, you know, 10 feet in front of you and that person turns around and looks at you and then they start walking faster and they clutch their purse tighter to their chest. Has that ever happened to you? I said, that's never happened to me. And my friend said, that happens to me all the time. African-American guy. He says, that's an example of of how racism happens for me. He, now, this is a part of his experience, and I need to understand his story and understand how that's happening, and I need to uh, be aware of how, how I might react that way wrongly, and I need to be sensitive to what's going on there. But the, the fact that he has had that experience, the, the idea that he would have a higher truth than I might have because he's had that experience, no, he has an experience that I need to learn from, but he doesn't have unique access to the truth. Well, critical race theory says, oh, yes, he does. Again, I want you to hear me clearly. Racism exists in our country still today. There are vestiges of it. At the same time, I can tell you with certainty that we are a much more racially diverse, racially uh, accepting, racially uh, 
homogenistic culture today than we were 50 years ago. There's much more racial unity than there was, than there was 50 years ago. There was separation and division. Now, I'll, I'll take one, one example. The idea that there is marriage happening with, from people different races, that's much higher today than it was 50 years ago. That's a part of the cultural divide that has been torn down, rightly so. But that doesn't mean that what we need is is to bring critical race theory to try to wipe out the remaining vestiges. Racism is still here. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be repented of where we have been confronted with it. We need to make sure that we are doing everything we can to treat every human being with dignity, respect, and value, regardless of class, race, ethnicity, color, sexuality. Every human being is worthy of dignity, value, and worth. That's our commitment before God. That's God's heart. We need God's heart for every human being. Every human being is loved by God and should be loved by us as well. We should not be separating or dividing along those lines. But the way to deal with the remaining vestiges of of racism in our culture is not to impose what is coming our way under the rubric of critical race theory. This is what we're going to talk with Dr. Thaddeus Williams about uh, here in just a few minutes. Again, Dr. Williams is a professor at Biola. He's written a wonderful book on this subject called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, because both of those need to be true of us as Christians. We need to be aware, not just railing against the onslaught of critical race theory that's coming our way, but also standing up and railing against the reality of injustice that still is present in our world. This is not, it's, it's not as simple as you'd like to think it is, but it's also not, it's not impossible. Spirit-led believers who are committed to love and to justice, we can do this, all right? You're welcome to join us in the conversation, if you'd like, 888-52-TALKS is our number. I'm Bob Lapine. This is Southern California Live on KKLA and KPraise. We will be right back. Southern California Live, KKLA and KPraise. I'm Bob Lapine. We're talking about what is increasingly uh, a conversation happening in state legislator state legislatures in corporate boardrooms in public I would not want to be on a school board right now public school boards are wrestling with the issue of racism the presence of racism in the classroom in the boardroom in the culture and how do we deal with this as Christians? And, you know, the Bible the Bible does call us to a commitment to justice. The prophet Amos famously says, let justice roll. God is a just God. We are to confront injustice, but we are not to compromise truth. And that's the title of a book by Dr. Thaddeus Williams, who is joining us this afternoon on Southern California Live. Thad, welcome to uh, Southern uh, Welcome to Southern California Live. Nice to have you. 
Hey, it's a joy to be with you, Bob. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm I'm so glad to have you, and I'm so glad for the book because while there are uh, a lot of books that are adding um, heat to the conversation, I think yours is a book that brings light to the conversation, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, I, I'm grateful Thank for you. the fact that even in the title of the book, you are acknowledging the fact that we have a biblical mandate to confront injustice. It's a part of our responsibility as followers of Christ. If God is a just God, um, we are not capable of perfect justice as he is, but justice is a communicable attribute of God, and we are we are to share that, right? That's exactly right. I mean, Micah 6.8 isn't, what does the Lord suggest of you if you get around to it, right? It's what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with god um yeah from genesis to revelation justice is never a divine suggestion it's a divine command from beginning to end and so living that out as christians that has personal implications for how we uh, how we conduct ourselves with others it it may also have political or cultural ramifications for how we engage in the culture let me ask you just about the personal side of that. What does it mean for me, uh, living as a as a follower of Christ, to to be a person who does justice? Sure. Well, sort of the age old definition of justice, just so we get our our terms sorted out at the outset, it's giving others their due. Giving others their due. That's a old biblical definition. You find it. You know that that definition is thousands of years old. And what's unique about a distinctively biblical approach is that we start with the capital O of it, God himself. Giving God his due is where all true justice starts. So think of, you know, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. There's a reason the first of the Ten Commandments is have no God before God. There's a reason when Jesus is asked by the Jewish lawyer, you know, what's the first of all 613 commands of the Old Testament? What stands out as number one? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so I would say biblical justice starts there, giving God his due in our daily lives, keeping the first thing the first thing. And when we do that and don't just pay God lip service, it has a way of spilling over into our actions, whether it's with that person who cut us off on the five freeway, uh, whether it's with that, you know, telemarketer, whether it's with that, that spouse or that kid who's throwing pudding at the wall. It, it affects all of our daily interactions because we're no longer seeing people just on horizontal terms we begin to see them for who they truly are as image bearers of God. And when you start with God first, it's really tough to treat his image bearers like garbage. So I would say that's a distinctive mark of biblical justice. Start with the divine other, and then that will apply to your other relationships and your daily interactions. So in our culture today, there is there is a thesis being put forward that says, we are uh, a fundamentally unjust society, that we are, we are fundamentally uh, unjust people, and that we need to uh, repent of the widespread injustice that exists 
and we need to um, we need to to change our ways. First of all, to what extent is that diagnosis accurate? Do you think? Well, I would say less so of society as a whole, and more so of just you, Bob, just uh, you personally. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I, I would say <laughs> I would say you know Thomas Sowell, the great uh, economist up at Stanford, he has a really helpful question to, to sort through that, which is unjust compared to what? You know, if we're going to indict all of American society, well, well compared to what mm-hmm. are we? You know racist to our core, homophobic to our core, or hateful or bigoted to our core, compared to what? Um, There's a reason that people weren't risking their lives to break from West Berlin into East Berlin, but the other way around. There's a reason people are willing to risk, you know, the, the storms and waves of the Atlantic Ocean to break out of Cuba into Florida and not the other way around. There's a reason people are willing to, you know, risk life and limb to, to escape certain socialist countries in South America. Or to get out to of Afghanistan right now. Yeah, there's a reason people are willing to lay it all on the line uh, to escape Taliban rule. And so I would say if our compared to what, if our answer to that question is compared, like you said earlier, to God's justice, then sure, America is riddled from top to bottom. We, we, not just personally, but corporately, fall short of the glory of God in more ways than either of us can count. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's always room, as the old reformers put it, semper reformanda, always reforming. Um, there's always progress to be made, and there are, let's face it, some really deep injustices happening in our country right now, uh, and some deep historic injustices that have occurred. Um, so we don't want to minimize that fact by any stretch. Um, but I think it's just helpful to ask the compared-to-what question to, to think through it a little more clearly. And, and your point, I think, so important. We're not saying compared to what as if to say, well, then we don't have anything to worry about. We can dust our hands and we're better than most so we, we can ignore uh, the flaws. But it is to say exactly. yeah. if, if we're going to look at this and condemn America as a land that is riddled with injustice, we, we do have to open our eyes to the fact that, as you said, there are people dying to get here. So that they can live exactly. in freedom and and can live in what this country promises. We're talking with Dr. Thaddeus Williams from Biola. He's written a book called "Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth." And and Dr. Williams, you have seen the the video clips from school boards all across the country, uh, where parents yep. are up in arms about the, the importation of critical race theory into school curricula and and classrooms um yep. you may I'm, I'm curious i don't know if you listened to the the debate that took place between david french and chris rufo recently but here, here was not, no. well here's one person saying this is urgent and we need to sound the alarm and another person who's saying this is a blip and it'll die down. This is just a hiccup in American history and it's not a big deal and we, we shouldn't get all exercised about it. 
Do you think that sure. what's going on right now with critical race theory in school districts and in state houses is is this something to be alarmed about, or is this something that will pass as a fad and and we'll look back at it as a footnote in American history years from now? Yeah, well, well I think, um, in a word, um, the way this has been integrated with education, from higher education all the way down to, to kindergartens, to not mince words, I really, truly, having researched it for years, I believe it is insidious. It is insidious. It is pernicious. Um, I'm not saying that to be alarmist, um, but because I've witnessed firsthand the effects that this ideology has. And among those is it trains people. And again, having seen this firsthand, it is just heartbreaking. It trains people to interact with one another, not with here's the actual image bearer of God in front of me with their unique story. Instead, it rewires our brains to treat individuals as as exemplars or ciphers of their identity group. That's one of the core marks of critical race theory and especially its, its popular manifestations is I don't see you as Bob and, hey, let's get to know each other. It's Bob, with one glance, I can make a snap judgment, and based on the melanin levels in your skin cells, based on whether you have XX or XY chromosomes, now I can heap a whole ton of assumptions about you and whether you fall into the oppressed group or the oppressor group. And I think the 20th century has taught us very clearly that any time we begin tribalizing that way and treating people as group exemplars, it doesn't end well for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it ends in um, 1930s Germany. It ends in um, the extermination of the Kulaks in the Soviet Union. It ends in um, the killing fields of the Khmer Rouge. It ends in um, Mao's great revolution that claimed over 40 million lives. Um, it, it ends in the KKK saying, well, because you have more melanin, you're you're inferior you're less human our, our white skin makes us superior it's just it's madness you, you would think after the 20th century with a death toll of over 100 million that we would have learned there's a better way to to do life and to do society than treating each other as exemplars and i see that it's baked into crt that's being taught to children and i think that's a that's a massive problem because it it's infectious it, it changes the way they view the world and it, it just mars their relationships. Dr. Thaddeus Williams is our guest on Southern California Live. We're talking about critical race theory, about the danger of it, the perniciousness of it. We're going to continue the conversation. I want to ask about your engagement with college students, because it seems like college students have been have been programmed to think differently about this and are having to, uh, I, I imagine you have some lively debates We'll continue the conversation uh, after we take this time out. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Southern California Live on a Friday afternoon. Bob Lapine on KKLA and KPraise. We're talking about critical race theory and what's going on in school districts and in state houses and in corporate boardrooms. 
Our guest is uh, Dr. Thaddeus Williams. He's the author of a book called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. He's a professor at Biola and uh, and also a pastor. Is that right? You're one of the teaching pastors at your church? Uh, I more travel around. I'm currently in Nashville I'm teaching at a church called West End uh, for the weekends and then off to Alaska, off to Atlanta, more, yeah, of my Got it. So, yeah, itinerant. You, you, and uh, John Wesley on your horse. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're, so we're doc- pretty much on the same level, me and John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me ask you about your interaction with students, and and I'm we're talking kids who grew up in church, kids who grew up in evangelical homes. Um, yeah. Are, are they coming prepackaged and pre-programmed to you with a default setting that says that um, that that this is a racist nation and that injustice and intolerance are everywhere and that uh, George Floyd is an example of that and we've got to we've got to uh, overthrow power in order to get uh, get equality or not equality we can't have equality now we want equity is is that yeah. what you're hearing from evangelical kids in college today? Uh, thankfully, I would say not most of them. Um, but, you know, put it this way, for 20 years, uh, the number one question I got traveling around and preaching and teaching and lecturing, the number one question was always some version of the problem of evil. You know, how can God be so good and powerful? The universe is so messed up. But really, one of the reasons I wrote the book was in the last five years that shifted. And so now it's always some version of the social justice question. How as Christians do we think about justice, um, particularly when it comes to racism, when it comes to religious liberty, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to gender, um, all of these hot-button, you know, combustible, explosive issues. Um, so it's definitely on incoming generations' minds in a way that I haven't experienced it in, in years and years of ministry. And what I find and, is... Go ahead. I, what I find is um, what, what's been staggering in the last few years is how many students come in who have a lot more melanin in their skin cells than I do who will sit in my office just wringing their hands with frustration at how this... CRT style agenda is hijacking their voices and, and there's, there's a frustration that they feel, you know, pigeonholed and that unless you buy into this certain narrative that they're so oppressed all the time and, you know, the white man is the oppressor. Um, so that was one of the, the things that really inspired me to write the book was just listening to these voices. And so in the 12 chapters that make up confronting injustice without compromising truth, a lot of those stories are shared yeah. um, from students who, who get called all kinds of terrible names um, because they don't fit with the CRT oppressor versus oppressed narrative. So that was one factor combined with, I would say, the share of students who have bought hook, line, and sinker into this ideology. I, I've noticed that They'll show up on campus, and they'll be marked by—they're kind of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, marked by the fruit of the Spirit. 
You see love and joy and peace and patience in them. But the more they imbibe these doctrines, treat individuals as group exemplars. The best way to interpret reality is between a binary of the oppressed versus the oppressor. Any inequity is obviously the result of um, injustice, or any disparity is the result of discrimination. Um, If you don't validate my identity as I define myself, you are by default my oppressor. Once they start taking these ideas in, Bob, it inverts all those fruits of the Spirit. So instead of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, they become marked by rage and suspicion and self-righteousness and assuming the worst of others' motives. Um, they're, they're, any passion they had for evangelism goes out the window. They, they could give a rip about the oppression of the world, the flesh, and the devil that that, that inflicts on us. And it becomes all about the, the latest, um, you know, trending social justice cause that they can hashtag. Uh, but thankfully, I've seen a lot of students liberated from that over the years. Um, so there is hope. <laughs> I don't want the listeners to think like, we're doomed. This ideology is destroying all of our children. Um, God's right where he's always been. He's on the throne. Uh, we just need the courage to, to tell the truth in this cultural moment. And, and I think it's important for us to recognize that we have to tell the truth. We have to speak the truth in love, and we have to be full of grace and truth as we do it. And in the same way that you've seen students who have uh, watched the fruit of the Spirit uh, evaporate and they have been characterized by rage and by self-righteousness, that can happen easily on our side, too. I say our side. We we can stand up at school board meetings or in state halls and be just as rage-filled or just as self-righteous. We have to make sure that we present our our arguments uh, full of grace and full of truth, don't we? Yeah, and think of that passage... You know, the famous wedding passage in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. In that list that Paul gives, he says, love is not easily offended. Hmm. And I think that is such a helpful gauge for our own hearts, that, that if we hear somebody say, you know, well, racism is still an issue, and we get triggered and we automatically think, oh, here it comes, there's some radical lefty, social justice warrior, snowflake Marxist, then, then we're being easily offended. Um, and and we're, we're just playing this everybody loses style game. It, it's better to, to listen to people and hear people out to sift through complex issues. And so in the book, I point out something called the Newman effect, uh, which goes back to 2018, a viral interview between Canadian psychologists, uh, Jordan Peterson, having a conversation with Channel 4's Kathy Newman. And every point Peterson made, Newman would restate in her own words in the most, like, cartoonish, damnable, inflammatory way possible. So she would say things like, so you're saying, that was like her her catchphrase, so you're saying women just aren't as smart as men, they can't run top companies. And Peterson's like, I wasn't saying anything close to that. Uh, And so I I argue in the book that we're sort of all Kathy Newmans now, that if somebody says, well, maybe this or that isn't, maybe racism isn't the best explanation for what happened here. So you're saying 
there's mm-hmm. no such thing as racism, and you're basically the Grand Wizard of the KKK. And they're like, hmm. no. Somebody says, racism is still very much a problem that as Christians we need to speak truth and grace and love into. So you're saying, you know, you're, you're a Marxist. And they're like, no, not what I'm saying. Or think of, like, the mask controversy, right? If, if you wear a mask, then so you're saying you just love tyranny and you hate freedom. Uh, or you don't wear a mask, and so so you're saying you hate grandmas and want more of them to die. <laughs> like, as Christians, <laughs> we just got to do better. These are complex questions. We need to engage them um, not just with truth, but with a whole lot of grace and and a slowness to be offended. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to take you and our listeners to a passage that's just the one I've been coming back to over and over and over again in the last 18 months in pastoral ministry and in engagement. This is in 2 Timothy 2, where Paul says to Timothy, he's talking about not quarreling about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. And then he goes on to say this, he says, the Lord's servant, and by the way, I think that's not just pastors, that's all of us. We are all the Lord's servant. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. And I, I checked, must not be means no, not, don't do that. Be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness. And I just got to say, in the, exactly. and, and Thad, thank you for this conversation. As we've talked about this, how we talk about it is as important as what we say. You've helped us think more clearly about it. And now as we engage, I hope people will get your book confronting injustice without compromising truth. Thanks for the time. Thanks to all of you for listening. Have a great weekend. Go to church this weekend. We'll see you back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.